Ah, dang it. Where's my VCR? What's the last movie you were unable to find streaming? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and when I was on maternity leave last year, I got all that jazz on DVD from the library. I think it was mostly because of the novelty of getting a DVD from the library, which is fun. I recommend it when libraries open again. Uh, But I'm pretty sure it wasn't on streaming, so I'm glad I did it. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm I'm racking my brain, but uh, this is now a defunct answer, but I certainly was in a... uh in a mood when I realized I couldn't rent directly from the internet, the tale of princess Kaguya, the Takahata film, um, that I got to see at TIFF uh, on a big screen with Takahata present. Wow. And then I wanted to rent it and it wasn't there. And now thank you, HBO max. Ooh, timely. Uh, I'm David the seven and I've been told I need to watch the Barry Bostwick movie Megaforce from 1982 and it appears I will have to pay for it, though I bet it's somewhere on YouTube. I feel like that's a M- MST3K movie. You should Ooh. check to see if it's available that way. What if I want to see the uncommon and un- unimportant lightning round? Plug your Go ears. <laughs> and I'm David Ehrlich, and uh, I was unable to find five easy pieces on streaming recently until my Apple TV directed me to Pluto TV. Five easy pieces. Um, it was the only place of all the streaming services that had it available in the semi decent quality, I should say, not and certainly not criterion level. And just last night, I wanted to watch Spike Lee's Summer of Sam, uh, which is not technically streaming. And do we call if something is available to rent online, do we call that streaming? Uh, you are streaming yeah. it. Yeah, um, if you can pay to watch it from your couch, that's streaming, right? But yeah. in this day and age, the the mild outrage of paying two ninety nine to rent something that <laughs> just pop up on Netflix. But uh, yeah, I, I rented Summer of Sam uh, last night. Uh, I changed my answer. I remember that a month ago we tried to watch My Fair Lady on Little Goldman as rewatch, and it's not available for streaming. Oh wow, which is weird. Uh, yeah, two musicals. Get it together, Internet. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 302, Pandemic 12. Woof! Uh, it's the week of Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. That was the day that in 1988, Penny Marshall's Big opened in theaters. Simple times. God, what a nice thing it would be for something like Big to just appear. What if you got Big now? You're in mm, your 30s, like, but you wish to get like Big. I went to my, like, like went to my 60s or something? Yeah. Have they done that as a movie? That seems like a <laughs> no, Zac just, Efron, Robert just De Niro get elephantitis immediately and just be like, oh, and be unable to move. <laughs> it's a short film. <laughs> I'm too big. I'm big. Well, it's longer because it takes you forever to fucking play the piano at KB Toys. Oh, my God. An exact Do, remake of Big. They're at FAO Schwartz, aren't they? FAO Schwartz. I'm sorry. Yes, that was the thing wrong with that joke, not the elephantitis part. <laughs> that was the fun part. Um, hello, we're here. Uh, we took last week off, sort of, so you guys could hear our cinephile game. Um, that was fun. Thank you for being patient while we uh, came back. We're here. Uh, David, here we have a review. Yeah, we, we came back just in time to podcast while Rome burns. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, world has, the world was waiting with bated breath. We're for pirate radio. Again. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like a dereliction of duty just to even be recording a podcast about something as frivolous as uh, no as this, people but, people yeah. need people have I, told us repeatedly through this pandemic that they appreciate I our do. Frivolity. yeah, but that pandemic has ratcheted up and been compounded by uh, <laughs> new events. A new challenger has entered the arena. This we're, we'll get there. We're we're getting there. Uh boy. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, we do have, I believe, two reviews. That we haven't read on the show. I think we read KP Stark's review. No? Yes? I'm not sure. <laughs> That's um, the fun part of the podcast. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll go back in reverse order from my most certain that we haven't read on the podcast to my <laughs> least certain. Uh, uh, Hammurabi Reader says, fantastic film podcast. Great podcast that touches on a multitude of films and various media every week, often with interesting erudite perspective. I'll hijack myself to also chime in on a recent request by another reviewer for a recommendation of fictional books about film. 
Flicker by Theodore Rojak is incredibly underread and is a fantastic investigation into an insidious subliminal conspiracy that originates with the birth of film and its tendrils that permeate to films of today. Don't read the online descriptions. They spoil a lot of the creepy mystery of it. Aronofsky was working on an adaptation for a time when he was a far less didactic filmmaker. Burn. Everyone who feels inexplicably lured to classic film should read. Very helpful review. Thank you. Um, Aronofsky, I don't know. I mean, I guess Mother is uh, as didactic as filmmaking gets, but I didn't see that as a knock against it. Obviously polarizing. Noah. hmm. Uh, Private Life Public Spaces says, My fake real friends. I've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, and I'm finally leaving a long belated review. In fact, I remember when everyone chose The Social Network as their number two movie of 2010, and Katie and Patches chose Black Swan as number one, a choice that seems wild in retrospect. I mean, and obviously we know not the most wild choice that Katie has ever made for her number one film. No, but I I had forgotten about that one, honestly. I'm I'm sticking with that. Yeah. Black Swan is a great movie. It's funny that we were just slagging on Aronofsky, and now we've gone right back to <laughs> Black Swan, uh, a movie that absolutely does not hold up being Matt Hatch's favorite film of 2010. Where the social network only gets better every year somehow, like literally every year, like markedly better. Literally always. Mark? The, uh, the um, <laughs> what's his face? Uh, who did the score for the Black Swan? Um, Clint Mansell. Thank you. Uh, his reworking of Tchaikovsky is is really effective. Uh, I often think of a tweet that went something like, I listen to podcasts and pretend the hosts are my friends or something. I truly think of you guys as my friends that don't know you're my friends. We know now, private life, public spaces. I love the conversational <laughs> nature of the show, and I appreciate how little structure there is. It truly tr- feels like America. Kidding. It truly feels like a conversation between friends, which makes it feel more real. I've gone through a lot of ups and downs over the last 10 years, and I truly feel like I've always been able to count on this podcast. Nothing lasts forever, and I feel like the day when this podcast actually ends, and it's not a joke, I will actually be devastated. Anyway, I don't want to end this on a downer, so I'll just say I love the show. P.S. I watched Blinded by the Light the other day purely because of David's recommendation. It really was such a great burst of joy that could not have come at the right time. Now on HBO Max. Thanks. The review was very helpful. Uh, good news. This podcast will TV. literally never die. We have already seated the next generation uh, yeah. to take over for us. Uh, Sorry, Dave, kids. Dave will adopt someone. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like one of those <laughs> ships that's on the way to Neptune that... <laughs> You have one generation that dies off, but recreate procreates. Actually, right now, we have three boy children and one girl child, so we've actually got the ratio just right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll become a dog. But a dog that (laughs) has podcasts. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we read this review from K.P. Stark uh, that was left on May 17th. I'm trying to work out the dates and see if it was possible we did, but it's very short, so worst comes to worst, people hear it again. (laughs) Uh, it's a essential listening. I just finished listening to Fighting the Worms 300th episode, which was absolutely delightful, and I felt inspired by all the callers to finally leave a review. I found this show through the lovely Joanna Robinson and saved the excellent content. I love tuning in every week to hear everyone's thoughts on movies, TV, and general pop culture ephemera. You can tell all four of the hosts really like and respect each other, even when they disagree. I've taken to listening on my socially distant quarantine walks, and I can't recommend it enough. This review uh, was very helpful, if it wasn't helpful for us already. Um, Thank you all so much for leaving reviews. Uh, Please, uh, as I've I've come to say every week since the pandemic started anyway, uh, we appreciate hearing from you now more than ever. Hashtag more than ever. And uh, yeah, please leave us a review on iTunes, Fighting in the War, and we will read it on the show. Uh, guys, how are we doing? It's been two weeks since we recorded a new episode, and some some stuff's happened. I think <laughs> yeah, some stuff's, happened. stuff's happened. I think there's been news. Uh, the off mic portion of the show that uh, we probably won't recreate includes discussion of uh, whether or not to abolish the police and of looting. Uh, we might just stick to what we've been watching in the <laughs> middle of all of this. Sorry. Has anyone has anyone watched anything like on theme that feels actually responsive to the current moment? I have not. I played a well, game that's what? on theme. Oh, yeah. oh. Hey, what was the uh, game? Means TV released uh, earlier this year for 
uh, Nintendo Switch and some uh, probably Steam platforms, a game called uh, Tonight We Riot. It's a leftist uh, rioting game. Oh Whoa. Can you uh, play as Bernie Sanders? That, that does seem very on point. <laughs> is, it like, yeah. is it like Streets of Rage? Um, uh, yeah, basically. So you're like a little rioter, and your job is to run along and liberate businesses and uh, attack the oppressive forces of capitalism with, like, bricks and Molotov cocktails, and eventually you get, like, a chainsaw, and a riot dog uh, will come join your cause. And the goal is sort of to get through, clear the entire level. It's a side-scroller, sort of, like, beat it him up. It is like Streets of Rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, speed him up with, uh, yeah, you know, with your weapons. And uh, your goal, besides... Just finishing the level is to keep as many of your fellow rioters from dying at the hands of the police. Jesus. It's pretty uh, cool. Is the, does the game uh, get harder every day that you play? Um, not really. It's a game that is pretty well designed in the sense that it sort of tells you how to play it as you're playing it. And otherwise, it's like pretty funny. I mean, it's probably less funny now. But the idea of, um, you know, a people's revolution that rises up against capitalism and uh, people like each uh, the start of each stage, there are four uh, levels with uh, four stages in each one. And then the last one's a boss level. Um, The start of each stage is like a newspaper that'll say things like, you know, uh, oh, Lord, they're after the property and stuff like that. Um, that are sort of like panic newspapers from an ultra ultra capitalist state, um, and it's been interesting. It's yeah, it's a video game that isn't like inher- It's definitely less violent than like your Fortnites or Apex Legends that I usually play, uh, but it's a really funny, you know, like tongue in cheek riot game. Uh, you want to explain the, um, why the riot dog speaks Greek, which you told me earlier today? <laughs> yes. So I was like, the riot dog speaks Greek, and it's specifically named after this, or it's based off this uh, Greek riot dog, which is uh, during the financial collapse of Europe, uh, during the protests in Greece, uh, this phenomenon known as riot dogs started happening, which is dogs just show up and feral dogs show up and sort of be on the sides of the protesters. And I think it also happened in 2011 in Chile uh, with the student protests there that a dog sort of like joined the protests and would attack mass police and stand in front of uh, water cannons and things like that. And so I was led down a very pleasant uh, Wikipedia page and wiki wormhole of riot dogs. Or just like the pure, so teaching you something too. the pure dog that just is barking at tyranny. Riot but also dogs the picture being of, my my favorite punk band from uh, well yeah and the, and the picture of the riot dog looks like he's like screaming lyrics into a microphone like this one picture of the dog he's <laughs> just like <laughs> fuck the police it's really really fuck funny. the police we're from um, <laughs> I I speaking of games that are uh, dovetailing with our current moment I am very excited to to get my hands on the Last of Us Part Two the Last of Us being a game that I'm sure we've talked about on this podcast but it's been very much on the tip of my mind. Uh, since the pandemic started. And Is that the one with the guy walking across America with the baby in a bubble? No, that's no, Death no. Stranding, but also a game that I think relates to uh, the moment <laughs> at hand. The Last that's of awesome. Us is uh, a game about the... Well, let's, we can call them zombies. It's, it's not entirely accurate, but about a zombie. It's it's really, I think, the great the greatest zombie story ever told, with uh, due respect to, to both uh, George Romero and Danny Boyle. Um but uh, it's really uh, and and now Craig Mazin of Chernobyl fame is turning it into an HBO show, um, and I assume that they're just going to stick to the letter of uh, the video games because it's very hard to improve on the story. And now um, a sequel of a game that had a perfect ending is, is coming. Uh, review copies are out there; or should be out there imminently. And the game comes out on June nineteenth. I'm really excited to dive into. That that was not my pandemic check-in, but I was just following up on the thread of video games that are Did you just like a very bleak thing now. to play at the moment. Sure. <laughs> Did you partake in any of the spoiler peaks that happened earlier? I would honestly No. I, I was gonna say uh glib expressions that no longer feel appropriate. <laughs> but uh yeah. um I uh no I, I no, I am playing The Last of Us Part Two, the only video game that I can think of really for the story. And uh, there is nothing that I can imagine would be more ruinous after years of anticipation than just reading about what happens. I mean, I really can't. I, the the storytelling of The Last of Us, even for people who are 
averse to video games is I would imagine if you just went out of your way to watch the cutscenes from the original game on YouTube, you'd be able to get enough sense of what makes it such an affecting tale. And the I want, I want Katie up to. to watch a cutscene like you know, that. Katie, these videos exist. You could actually play this yeah, game yeah. or or watch this game without playing it, and that would kind of be fascinating. Would it, exercise yeah, for this maybe podcast. we can make a segment out of that. Would it, I mean, is it like just like out of context scenes that wouldn't mean anything or? I mean, no, I miss think- the interstitial stuff of like running from point A to point B and avoiding the cephalopoids on whatever the fuck they're called. The mushroom headed people who are trying to kill you, but you, you'd be able to understand enough. I think of what seen, happens. I think uh, you've seen enough movies to take like a, yeah. not, it's naughty dog, right? A naughty dog property and being able to stitch together what you don't see because they're very good at story. And it's basically like, here's an action sequence. And then you'd cut away and just see the end of the action right. sequence, which is, Fine, you're not yeah. missing. Anything. And one of the, like a you know, Wikipedia summary along with it or something. I yeah. think you, you might get something out of just watching. One of the many things that game is famous for is its prologue, which is a real uh, red herring and uh, does something that, at least at that time, I had never really seen a video game do before. And that scene in particular and how it unfolds is is when you're sitting like living where I am right now, which is sort of in the middle of this triangle between all the various flashpoints where, um, first of all, some of the hospitals are sort of the cavalcade of sirens for months now, but now where the uh, protests are happening and those sirens have been replaced by uh, police cars, um, it's, it's hard enough to think about those uh, opening moments of the last of us, the game. I'm really curious about how the second game is going to continue that story. Well, it's been almost four years since you guys maybe played Warcraft, so maybe, hey, hey, hey. maybe this is it. Gul Dawn is not in this game, so you may not <laughs> yeah. be that entertaining. What if, what if at the end of The Last of Us Part 2, it turns out Gul Dawn was behind hey, it all? Gul'dan. <laughs> oh, you whippersnapper. Uh, I must come wait. bring you through the portal. Can I, can I talk about the thing that I was most excited to talk about this week? You can, well, you yeah. can, but uh, can we just pause for one second? I feel like we glossed over a little bit of like what's happening in the world a little bit like let's nod to the 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 unrest and the uh the well it's not even unrest it's the passion that's that's flaring it's people coming out of their homes and and protesting and and showing and saying black lives matter out loud and screaming it and in the faces of, of police and there's a lot so much happening i feel like if we're talking about Something you were too I, I, busy I, I, celebrating your birthday to partake in our long true. pre-recording conversation. I know we, we did a bit of a, a pre-briefing here, but the one thing I wanted to, to mention on the podcast is I think when we, um, in the lead up to the election, actually, maybe it was the aftermath, who can remember? Um, we had a great conversation on this podcast that was about like the cinematic value or like the cinematic read of everything that we were witnessing from the election cycle, that it felt like cinema in a way, or we, we could use the, the thoughts that we have about cinema to, to kind of understand the moments. And I keep like, uh, we're, I'm living so much of this moment through immediate footage that I'm seeing from every vantage point and every camera. It's, it's interesting to me as this experience, I, I don't know, even more than uh, when the protests broke out in, in Ferguson and that, moment where where black lives matter really took root as a ubiquitous phrase and and movement and it's 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 been present ever since but now it's just like it's so immediate it's so in our face and and the cinema of it all is making it really palpable to people in a way that feels different than from ferguson in the last uh what, what was that five six years um i don't know does anyone feel that way about about just like seeing this being hit with it in social media or just in video. I don't know. What do you get from the visual experience? There was a major change that I think is still happening for me, which is that when Ferguson was happening, I remember specifically because I was with uh, Mike Ryan, who is from St. Louis, and we had just seen some fucking Marvel live show at the Barclays Center, like the absolute like dumbest thing. And then we went to a bar <laughs> And we watched all the videos and the protests going down on our phones. And Mike and I were just like, you know, what happens? What's like the next thing? Like we were just on like the one of the dumbest fucking highs. And now, you know, here comes reality crashing through. And then I thought that my 
job was to witness and to amplify those videos. And now I definitely think the witnessing part is important, but I think we've evolved in the methods of counter protest and policing that I think I need to evolve out of retweeting videos. Like, um, Obviously, experiencing this cinematically doesn't work. And so realistically, what that's doing is it's putting potential people in the target of police facial recognition. So I think I kind of might be done with videos. And this whole witness thing, uh, I think, was my problem because I was sitting there in New York where Eric Garner died being like, I need to witness this thing somewhere else. So if there's been any sort of move towards me, I think it's because I need to actually engage with it less as a media event because I think that allowed me some sort of not complicity because I don't, I've been trying actively to avoid that, but I do have a little bit of guilt about not being involved in the right way the last time this all went down. Yeah, I don't what know. feels like the right way now? Like, I feel like we yeah. like we probably all donated money at this point. And the, the thing that I keep struggling with, and I tweeted about this yesterday, is like, what is the thing to do after that if you are not physically able to go to a protest or not willing to expose yourself or whatever else? Like, what is what's the next thing? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because like by the time you've heard this podcast, I might have like gone to protest. I haven't yet, mostly because it's in like the middle of a pandemic. Not because it's necessarily the violence thing, but it's starting to like have the same sort of like guilt compiling on me. So at some point that might break for me, like the pandemic broke other people when they people were like, you know, fuck it. I want to I, I need to go out and get my hair cut. That wasn't about getting their hair cut. That just like broke them. What might break for me is this. This might be the time where it's like it, I was OK staying inside and doing stuff when I thought the primary thing was I was keeping other people safe by doing that. Now it's almost like by not being out there, I'm saying something. So I need to balance those two Ooh. things. And that, it's been tough. Yeah. But if I do go out there, uh, you're not going to see any videos from me this time. That's what I've decided. David. Patches and Dave. David, was and David say what are what are you guys doing? <laughs> uh, boy, um, I I mean I I I don't really know what to do. I felt uh, as someone who's who's at home was already sort of in a depressive downward spiral and and paralyzed with my time and ability to get out between the pandemic and working from home with a with a young child, um, you know, my wife and I are in this bizarre and fortunate situation where we both still have our jobs, but uh, it's incredibly difficult to do either of those jobs because the concept of daycare doesn't exist. And so we're, we're trying to find pockets of time to, to get any of our work done. It's kind of a farce uh, with the kid, but it's been really distressing. It's again, talking about the proximity of these protests to not be out there. I mean, she and I together have both attended basically every major protest you would expect since the start of the Trump era. Um, and uh, they are now sort of around my apartment every in every way. But uh, unless someone invents invents a uh, a baby sized suit of armor with protective face masks that I can put my son in to go out there, could be I, a lucrative. Invest. It could be. It could be. I would kickstart that. Like but, those um, backpacks they make with a bubble for a cat to go in, so your yeah. cat can go with you and he can see the world. <laughs> but I, I've been. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like the Death Stranding. Uh, Apparatus yeah, that normally BB, carries BB around. Yeah. Um, I mean, he takes BB through some very perilous situations. So, uh, who's to say? But, um, no, I mean, it's, it's hard to feel like I, you know, I feel particularly useless in this moment and, you know, beyond even my usual feelings of uselessness regarding all things. But, uh, especially now, you know, I've given money and, uh, will continue to do so. I've tried to amplify voices however I can. Um, but there is definitely a feeling of, you know, there's this video that's been very viral, I think, over the last day or so of a young white girl uh, sort of nervously but determinedly getting in front of a black girl or uh, boy, I can't remember exactly, um, uh, at a protest using her body uh, to, to sort of intercede between the cops and this young black person. And uh, it's hard not to watch that and not want to go on the streets, put your body where you're your mouth and your ideas are and uh 
Um, you know, I think so much of like the, and I'm using finger quotes now, like the good white behavior that we've tried to express and, and embody over the years, uh, has, it means nothing if, if, you know, put it into action at times where it matters most and giving money is part of it for sure, especially for those of us who can't get out there, but it is frustrating. Um, and it's, it's hard to sit inside and concentrate on this frivolous work that we're doing, um, or anything of that nature, uh, the work that is keeping me inside with my kid, you know, when, uh, when all this is happening around us, but, um, it has been different. And I feel like, I feel somewhat shameful about that because I feel like it's suggesting that the, the violence that's been perpetrated against black Americans for so long hasn't sunk in as deep as it should have, um, to say that this is different, but, um, certainly the scale of the protests that are happening now seem objectively different. Um, and I think really the, just the, the, uh, volume of examples of police violence has been viscerally upsetting for me in a way that, um, all of the riots, which have been upsetting you know, over the years in various different ways, um, that haven't made me feel dead inside, that have made me feel outraged and angry. Um, but this just feels like, uh, it's happening on such a wide front and so widespread. And one example after another, um, it just, it, it, it's really um, painful just to, to look at how badly the police need to be demilitarized as a start to fixing some of these endemic uh, institutional problems in this country. Um, but first and foremost, I think that's one of the things that needs to happen. Um, we're, we're recording this episode two hours after Donald Trump's, uh, you know, truly uh, sickening photo op that required him to tear gas people in front of the White House so he could hold a Bible like no one has ever held any book before in the history of humankind uh, in front of St. John's Cathedral. Um, I mean, it's all just so disgusting and transparent and sickening. Uh, and uh, uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's, I, that's I, why I, I obviously don't have any constructive to add to this, but well, it, I don't it think we can undervalue the, the power of the images and like Dave, I totally understand being rattled in this way and being like, I'm done with video. Just get out there. Um, but I, it's, it's these images have an effect on people and then broadcasting them has an effect on people. And it's still, there's just so much different types of, uh, there's so many different types of, of rhetoric on social media. Uh, and you can feel bad and you f- can feel good and then you can feel bad again and you feel good. Um, it's really, uh, all, all you can do is believe what you believe and rise to the occasion. Uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong with broadcasting th- those images or, or putting those images in front of, of new people and talking the talk and, and walking the walk when, when you can. Um, but man, the images are, are powerful. And yeah, maybe it's that we didn't rise up and we weren't provoked enough by the images years ago, but I'm, I'm not sure that was, that's true. It was, a, it was a different tenor. It was a different, um, I mean, we were startled and people jumped into action and there were protests, but we were working. There was not an adversarial force in the way that there was now who was, who's provoking such violence as, as David mentioned, like it was a different time. It really was. And it wasn't that well, long, I, but it was a different time. I hesitate to speak on this in, in this forum because I'm sure I'll trip my own tongue and sure. <laughs> and mix up the message, but uh, that's what we white folk do when we talk about the stuff. And uh, you know, I but we also should we, talk about the stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're only we're not helping anyone by swallowing our tongues, even though, at least online, my my tactic has really just been to amplify the voices that absolutely be heard. Um, but I feel like part of what's happened over the last few days is that white people have seen with their own eyes the action. Like the police have gone out of their way to show us the things that too many of us have denied for too long or lived in denial of. And uh, we have now seen in hundreds upon hundreds of examples across the country. I just retweeted uh, from Ryuichi Sakamoto, of all people, a map of police violence that has been committed in this country over the last few days. Um, and it looks like a map of coronavirus. Uh, and we, we have seen with our own two eyes the things that the black members of our community have been uh, and the body count that have come along with that have been uh, avowing to for so long and that have either been too many of us have been able to deny or sort of just tuck away in a pocket where we don't have to confront it on a day-to-day basis. We don't have to walk around fearing for our, our lives from the people who are sworn to protect us. Um, and it's made all of that so obvious to even those of us who really want to live with our heads in the sand um, or, you know, have had the luxury of doing so. And it's, uh, you know, 
I, I don't think it's being too performative or, or over the top for someone to be, to say that, um, uh, even all this nausea can't really begin to equal what black people in this country have to live with every day, uh, in regards to the cops. I think that much is obvious, but, um, it's, it's overwhelming, uh, for all of us, I think in a way that it hasn't been before. And I hope, you know, obviously it's not a good thing and the circumstances that have led to it are not positive in any way, but I hope that that feeling that sickness in the pits of our stomach, that, um, I, I think it's impossible for anyone with a conscience to avoid, no matter how divorced you are privileged from being from this violence, uh, will force us to act. But I think what is, churning that nausea and what makes me so scared of these past few days uh, on an existential level, not just for any individual's personal safety, is that um, I don't know how this ends because unlike in 1968 when there, you know, there was uh, when Nixon was in the White House and there were six days of looting, um, you know, I there, there was a reasonable, there was a Congress that was holding the president to account. There was uh, there were laws that were able to be passed. It just doesn't seem like any of uh, of that is functioning right now. Um, I don't know. I just uh, can I can I just, like bring and up Nixon was not president, and I knew I knew as soon as I was stumbling on my Aperol spritz that Nixon was not. Uh, well, president. that's what that's not what I was going to say. Katie I... <laughs> uh, yes. was going to fact check your ass. No, no, no. As, as she should, as she should. I mean, I'm, I'm was uh, in my was a... in my drunken day drinking stupor. Um, no, the thing uh, that. I've taken to drinking Aperol spritz in the last few days, which is like the most liberal. Sounds uh, great. Um, the yeah, thing, the thing that I was going to say, which is like, I guess the like moderate liberal thing to say, but it's also what Barack Obama said today. So I don't know where we are in him at this mo- exact moment. But anyway, um, he brought up in his medium post um, that the people <laughs> with the power over policing are generally locally elected officials. It's your police chief. It's your sheriff. It's your mayor it's the da it's all these things and they are local elections that are sparsely voted in uh it's they're, they can be hard to understand you have to do a lot of research to do it but the power of the individual is massive in them and i think maybe this is something that's more present for me living in a uh, small city in a uh mostly red state but a very blue uh and like proudly progressive city i think i noticed the difference between city and state a lot um and i find a lot of hope in that like I have thought a lot about elections and uh, ability of people to vote since I've lived here. And the fact that North Carolina has a voter ID law that keeps getting struck down by courts, but God knows what's going to happen is really distressing. Um, but I do like to, when you fall into despair about Mitch McConnell in the Senate, I think there's a lot of local things that are kind of like begging for you to engage in and understand. Um, and maybe the localness of the protests and the extent to which it's all like your experience of it is all based on where you are. Like maybe that can encourage all of us to think of it a little more locally, which is a place that that change can't actually happen. I mean, it's horrifying. You know, there's, there's a feeling that I have very acutely, even with the protests getting out of hand in, or, you know, the reaction to the protests getting out of hand in uh, New York, in downtown Brooklyn, um, is that it just, it, it, I can't get over the feeling that it is, very different here than it is in New York, unique among major American cities. Uh, and that worm might turn, it might turn tonight. You know, by the time we're finished recording this episode, things may, the violence may escalate. And there was looting in downtown Manhattan that was portrayed last night, not by people who were involved in the protests, but by predominantly white groups of teenagers who were hanging at the rear of them as they moved downtown. Uh, but it does feel like New York is still sort of a bubble. You don't have the, the boogaloos and the proud boys out in force. You know, you don't have the, the gangs of white people roaming the Philadelphia suburbs with baseball bats. Um, it does feel strangely inert from all of that. But it's also and, got the NYPD running um, people over. Like New York is. Right. I mean, like, yeah, well, the NYPD are a threat into themselves, of course. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like at least, you know, and you see them like in the fucking siege standing all there at, in Barclay center, which is four blocks from my apartment. And, and, uh, Barclay center has really become, you know, it was always this sort of corporate emblem in the middle of a, of a neighborhood. It was the, the, the finishing move of, um, gentrification in downtown Brooklyn, but it, it is, um, to another level to see all the cops gathered there. Like they have the LA convention center and uh, the Staples center, um, every night. But, uh, it's, it's clear who the, enemy is there now you don't really have another 
force like you do in some of these other cities. You don't have the the rogue trucker like what happened in Minnesota plowing through the barricades. Um, I don't know. It's it it does New York feels a little bit removed, but I say that as someone who hasn't been on the front lines themselves, so I don't know. But New York in general, from a lot of these political political causes that are ravaging the country, feels like an island unto itself. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. There was a point to all of this, but I, I can't. Uh, it just it feels very. It still feels removed, even if the emotion is as raw as it is everywhere else. This week on Yankee and the Brave. Back at it like a crack addict, Mr. Black Magic, crack a beast back, chiropractic, craftmatic, big daddy smoking beef, tally in a black, alley in a black, granddaddy rolling down, old natty Um I was already, as I said earlier in this rambling segment, in kind of a depressive spiral when, when uh, George Floyd was murdered and the protest broke out afterwards, um, and media has been less and less helpful to pull myself out of it. Um, but the one thing that I have discovered in the last week and, uh, the person, wait, 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 are you going to say Terrace house? Yes. Cause surprise, David, this is a new segment. <laughs> Welcome to the middle segment of the show where we talk about things that we are watching in the pandemic. Uh, this was like, pandemic this was like a sandwich. Cause we talked about video game. I guess we didn't talk about things we were watching. We just talked about video games. <laughs> That's true. Well, I think patches made the good call this week, uh, in an email Finally. that I noticed, which was like, why don't we move the weird reality thing David wants to talk to to the middle segment where we all talk about the weird thing we talk about. <laughs> and then that way we don't have a bunch of monologues all like stacked up against each other. Hmm. But David, this is perfect. Tell me about Terrace House. I need something stupid. Let me into the joy that you found. Excuse me. You, you said the S word. I did not. Terrace House is, uh, I'm not sure if I'm willing to put it in the, in the stupid category. Terrace House is a reality show, a Japanese reality show that is available on Netflix that I've been hearing about for a very, very long time. Uh, and I've been putting it off because reality TV shows for me are sort of in the domain of cable. We've talked about this extensively about passive watching rather than seeking out something to watch a la carte. Um, and it's very hard for me to like go onto a streaming platform and volunteer to, to, to watch a reality show rather than just channel surfing by it. Um, uh, except for below deck, which of course I have recorded on my DVR, but, uh, I finally took the plunge with Terrace house. I started with what I think is widely believed to be the worst season. Terrace house, Aloha state, which takes place in Hawaii rather than Japan as all the other seasons uh, are set. But Terrace house is essentially the real world, uh, with Japanese people, um, except for they've taken all the tension out of the real world. So it's just six people in a house. What happens when they stop being polite and start being, uh, also polite, but, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe with some slight, very, very passive, uh, aggression and, uh, kissing. Um, it is incredibly cathartic. I, the big, aesthetic difference for me is that the main house, the terrace house, if you will, where they all live is uh, filmed entirely by uh, surveillance cameras or, you know, cameras that are, that are not manned by camera people. Um, and so there is less of an intrusive quality. It really does have sort of a low key, almost ASMR feel to it. Six people living in a house, three boys, three girls, uh, all very attractive, all at the cusp of their uh, life's ambitions. Um, in Terrace House, you are allowed to have your cell phone. You're allowed to leave, keep your own schedule, continue to go to school, which is a major change from, I think, the way that Americans run reality TV shows, where it's always all-encompassing and you're isolated and you can't tweet out what's happening. Uh, in Terrace House, one really fascinating wrinkle is that um, the show airs only a couple weeks after it's filmed. And so cast members can watch the show while they're on the show and see what happened when they weren't present to, to watch it. Uh, see confessionals or whatnot. They don't really have confessionals, but private conversations from their other cast members that they weren't privy to when they actually happen. Um, I just find it very, very, very calming and a very... Simple way. Uh, it was funny about Terrace House, though, is that they cut to, and, and this is something that is a sort of a staple of Japanese television that I've seen. Uh, there have these, these panels of commentators that they cut to after seven or eight incredibly calm, pleasant minutes of beautiful young people talking about what they want to do with their lives to the most savage commentary I've ever seen. <laughs> 
on cable where they're just like this fat piece of shit was so embarrassing to himself wow he like i mean they're not using the word fat piece of shit you who is a an actress her name is you that's your stage name you might recognize from the coriander film still walking and uh, nobody knows it's sort of the head commentator and she is always very mindful of the fact that children watch the show but uh whenever they talk turned sexual but uh they are so mean to the contestants they're so bloodthirsty some of the commentators about what they want to see the heartbreak they want to watch on screen it's such a jarring contrast to how peaceful the meat and potatoes of the show is but um i found it really peaceful uh people in the first the season that i'm watching is taking place in the november right after trump was elected they make absolutely no mention of that of course they're all too busy talking about wanting to become professional ukulele players and artists and models and such but and one of them's 18 another one's 30 and they're all trying to sort of make it work together it's it's really nice um and uh, lauren Sai, who is sort of uh one of the breakout characters for the season i'm watching is actually starring in amy poehler's new movie that she directed for netflix called moxie so this is four years later she's now 22 i guess but as uh, she is someone who's breaking a little bit more into our corner of the world but uh, terrace house on netflix i i'm sure the terrace house fanatics out there and i know they exist will tell me that i've made a huge mistake starting with aloha state but <clears throat> i'm finding it really enjoyable and we'll definitely check out some other episodes although I am aware that the most recent season was abruptly canceled when one of the uh, residents of the show took her own life, which is obviously uh, not in the sort of calming ASR, ASR MR tradition of the Terrace House that I that I know is, is terrible. I don't know who that person is yet because I haven't seen those episodes, but um, that'll put a very different spin on them, I'm sure. Uh, so the show has been in the news for, for that reason recently, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it's been it's been the one thing that and reading finally a little life, which has been uh, truly turbulent and disturbing and devastating in ways that people keep warning me about and uh, is always hurting me a little bit more. I'm only a couple hundred pages into it, but uh, those are my getaways these days. Reading, I know it's been so hard to find. The when do I do that? <laughs> I mean, it's, I've been such a bad reader for so long, and now I finally have an excuse to be a bad reader, and I've taken it. And then, of course, the only book that I'm able to force myself through is 800 pages. Oh, we're great at reading uh, Twitter. I, I great at reading Twitter. Great at reading Twitter. There are pictures. <laughs> yeah, there are pictures. Yes. Katie, what about you? I what really you don't think I have anything. Like, I poked her on HBO Max, which is what we're going to talk about after this, and... Oh, I watched Gosford Park for Little Gold Men, which we're going to talk about in a little while. Good movie. A lot of people in it. You want to hear yeah. about Gosford Park? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen I Gosford d- Park. Yeah, no, I, I had never seen it, Gosford and Park. I didn't really know that much about it. And um, Clive Owen's in it when no one knew who he was, and Kelly McDonald is in it, uh, and they have like fun chemistry. Ryan Phillippe has a Scottish accent. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, no. it's, it's That's Spoiler not good. alert. It's, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't spoil Gosford Park. Uh it's fun. It's an Altman movie where everyone talks over each other and they're all in a British country house. I've never watched Downton Abbey. I imagine this is the DNA of Downton Abbey because it's got Maggie Smith as like the like old lady who's like Riley commenting on everything that's going on on everybody. She got an Oscar nomination for it as Helen Mirren. Um, can't knock either of them for it. Good movie. Rentable on iTunes. That counts as streaming. Mastered economics, cause you took yourself from squalor. Slave. Mastered academics, cause your grace said you were scholar. Slave. Mastered Instagram, cause you can instigate a follow. Shit. Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Yeah. Look at all these slave masters posing has anyone, on your Has anyone else watched things on HBO Max? I'm now going to consume what we thought was going to be oh, a yeah? segment. This is going to be just one long segment. That's what? Uh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah, I had something yeah, I watched that wasn't yeah, on HBO yeah. Max. Pure chaos. No, we're well, no, we're t- we're no. You're allowed to talk about whatever you want, Dave. I'm just now bringing up HBO Max because I'm consuming our other segment, and this is going to be one long segment. Patches, you did you watch the uh, Anna Kendrick show? Because I know it's now law, um, as much as we still have laws in this country. Right? <laughs> that if you watch streaming, streaming platform, <laughs> every streaming platform has to have an Anna Kendrick show. I didn't watch her Quibi show, and I watched literally two minutes of Anna Kendrick's HBO Max. It was that original. Lo- What's it called? Lo- love. Love something. Love life. Love life. And uh, it's executive produced by Paul Feig. Maybe the first episode was... It was so twee, 
in the first two minutes, I just gave up. I didn't even get to an image of Anna Kendrick. There was like a montage of something else. So it was, it was too much. I couldn't do it. Uh, gave up immediately. But HBO Max has so many other things to, to watch because, uh, I mean, we, as I mentioned at the top of the segment, they have all the Studio Ghibli films now. Polygon just spent the whole week writing about Studio Ghibli films, so I've been revisiting a lot of Studio Ghibli films. I believe Matt, right Matt Patches called Ponyo a masterpiece. I did. I did. Come on, that's good. That's good. What do you? What is that? For? You're making a Ponyo face right now. Come on, it is Damn. a meh. It's a masterpiece. Not not my favorite uh, Studio Ghibli, but I will be very happy that I have it. The show to. Uh, I thought we failed to bring the word young. Oh, oh, for sure. Decade. I thought we just left it behind. We left meh. what? I thought we were done with the word meh. Meh. I'm bringing meh back for Ponyo's sake. Uh, no, Ponyo Ooh. is definitely like lower tier Miyazaki, but my whole argument is that it's it's still a very good film, and certainly for for young kids. Although I can't get my kid into Ponyo. It's just too much of a movie for little kids, as opposed to Totoro, which is pure and wonderful, and we watched it a thousand times since quarantine started, and it, it, it is slow-paced and elegant, and yeah, Ponyo is just so much visual information. Um, gotta recommend Totoro first. But uh, Dave, Port- you, I'm sorry, Port-Rosso. I cut you off. Yeah, Parker Ross. Well, Parker Ross. Oh, that's not fine. If we're talking about HBO Max, I've also been watching stuff on HBO Max. But what have you I've watched been, on HBO Max? And I watched what the new Looney Tunes. Ooh, how, I watched the old I've Looney watched, Tunes. How's the new one? <laughs> new ones I actually like. So it takes a lot of the stuff that still classically defines Looney Tunes for me, which is like the gags are based sort of around the idea that you thought physics existed, but you're watching the Looney Tunes. <laughs> like, all those gags still work, where, like, you know, somebody's holding on to what they think is Bugs Bunny, but it turns out it's been switched out for Dynamite. Like, all those work. The animation looks good. They have taken it a lot softer on, obviously, all these characters being based on race in some sort of way, or taking on racial pastiches. None of that is there. Bugs Bunny does say kicks once, but that's the most anachronistic thing I could find, and it's new. Um, and then they have also played down... Kicks sneakers? As, kicks as shoes. Um, uh, but then they've also stopped uh, leaning so hard on uh, speech impediment comedy. So I like new Looney Tunes. If you have to have new Looney Tunes, this isn't bad new Looney Tunes. Well, you know what might what, an what might be a bad new Looney Tunes? I didn't watch enough of, but Charlie watched some of. Is there something called the Looney Tunes Show that aired on Cartoon Network from 2011, 2014? Aren't Dave, they like superheroes? No, in that they one? live in a house. Like it's Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck living in a suburb of Los Angeles with colorful neighbors and other characters. So it's uh, Terrace so House, but with the Looney Tunes. Yes, basically. Uh, I like this line. The series contained less slapstick and fewer visual gags, but instead was more adult-oriented and dialogue-driven with love triangles, employment, and rooming. It's on Isn't HBO all- Max? Yeah. I'm love triangles, employing, employment, and rooming. It's <laughs> <laughs> the holy trinity. Isn't that, is Lola Bunny Lola in this Bunny show? Lola Bunny sure is in this show. Oh. Isn't this what you wanted from Looney Tunes, though, is fewer gags and more employment storylines? That's yes. what I was always worried <laughs> It's a about. real George Lucas approach to making kids <laughs> entertainment. Uh, sorry, Dave, I cut you off in your HBO Max. Oh, no, uh, I watched Looney Tunes and I watched uh, Dick Tracy because why not? If finally, I could stream Dick Tracy, which is probably the best way to watch Dick Tracy. When was the last time you guys watched Dick Tracy? I've never seen it's it. It's been a minute. Five. Although, it, absolutely one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. It has me also as a kid, and it's because everything's so broad, it's ridiculous. Like, um, even to the point where I'm pretty sure, like, the first stunt that Tracy does is he jumps from a, like, second ledge window and he grabs a light pole, and the stuntman, like, full on, like, nose butts the light pole, and you could see him pull his head back in pain, and they cut to Warren Beatty going like this. And uh, it's a real it's a real movie that they've spent a lot of money on trying to make it look like 1989's Tim Burton's Batman, and just did not write it at all. There's no there's <laughs> both too much story about mobsters, but also nobody acts the story. It's just Al Pacino and Warren Beatty and Madonna and makeup effects. Anyway, Hoffman. 
Dustin Hoffman also, but just doing makeup effects. Uh, yeah, no one really escapes uh, the makeup effects, bright colors of Dick Tracy. But, it, you know, it's got like that, ah, shucks, newsy vibe. Where they're like, ah, oh, child abuse. Isn't that funny? It's okay. He's a street urchin. <laughs> that vibe. Uh, what did I watch on HBO Max besides Looney Tunes? Oh, I watched... Did I not talk about this last week? That I watched part of Gold Diggers in 1933? Did we not talk about this already? No. No. I... We didn't do a podcast. Oh, my God. Who did I... So I talked to someone about this in real life, and the limit is just... There's just so few people I could have... And it just seemed it. like a podcast. Uh, anyway, Gold Diggers 1933. I, this has been established. HBO Max has a remarkable uh, classic movie selection. Like, I, I think better than anything outside of Criterion Channel or Filmstruck back in the day. Oh, for uh, sure. I mean, it's all... I guess it's all Warner Brothers movies. It must be not just Warner Brothers. It's... It's not all. There's some foreign films in there. There's a Warner Brothers collection, and then like the TCM. That's right. It's TCM kind of stuff. Um, anyway, so Gold Diggers 1933 is a Warner Brothers musical, um, and it's you know a classic put on a show musical. I actually I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched the beginning of it, and then I watched the musical numbers with Charlie uh, Gouldan, the uh, almost four year old who I live with, <laughs> uh, and he loved. Wait, you live with Gouldan? And you guys lived <laughs> him uh, back before he was even born. Right. Um, we watched the whole Pet oh, in the Park right. song, which is a crazy thing to show for old, but he didn't really think about it. Um, but it's just like elaborate Busby Berkeley musical number, and he was totally fascinated by it, and it was so gratifying to me because of all the garbage. You, you pet the dogs. You pet the dogs. Yeah, in you pet the park. dogs. I mean, there's like a there's a whole segment where like everyone's on roller skates, and there's a bunch of cops on roller skates. Uh, I mean, set aside the cop imagery. Uh, we watched this a while ago. Um, but they like, there's a baby on roller skates and the cops Ooh, are chasing cops. the baby on the roller skates and like, he loved it. So, uh, classic movie musicals. I think if we skip the parts where everyone talks, which like, to be honest, in a lot of movie musicals, the parts where everyone talks are boring. Um, I think I can really get somewhere with that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I I watched two movies on HBO Max. I watched In the Mood for Love. Oh my god! When I when I saw which... you tweet that, I felt so embarrassed about my my HBO Max viewing. Why? Because I'm had, watching a yeah, classic. Yeah, Looney Tunes, where they all live in a house together, and you watch In the Mood for Love, a masterpiece. <laughs> That's fair. You maybe <laughs> but uh, definitely a polarizing film for the the group I, I was watching it with, which is interesting. Wow. Uh, was the group you were watching it with Eleanor? No, it was not. <laughs> yeah, uh, my baby said. <laughs> she said, "I." And then I said, "That's that masterpiece." Subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, in the mood for love, Wong Kar Wai's film from the year two thousand, I yep. think, uh, which looks like from a the film year from the 2000. 19, late fifties or sixties, and uh, clear Mad Men predecessor. Not much story on the bone. That was one of the big complaints that I I heard from people that I watched it with, and oh um, my god. The movie is absolutely gorgeous, but yeah, it kind of fizzled out, I guess. I don't know. I think it, I, I think after Mad Men and seeing television emulate this film so often in the last 20 years that people kind of got a taste of In the Mood for Love in the form of long form storytelling and now think that this kind of movie doesn't have enough to offer them. And I think that's interesting how like in 2000 it was obviously revered as as uh, as a as a masterwork. Um it still and now is. Yeah, but I think it is by people who saw it then and not now. And if you see it fresh now, you might it's it's almost like um what what everyone's worried with with Dune in a weird way where like everyone's worried that Dune has been so processed into other types of entertainment pick, picked apart by Star Wars and other sci-fi that by the time we get an actual Dune adaptation, everyone's going to be like, this is old news. Listen, There's I, better versions of this in my mind. And I wonder if In the Mood for Love plays the same way for people. There is no bigger uh, Mad Men fan than I. And Elise and I have actually been re-watching some Mad Men recently because her rewatch is somewhere in the middle of season four. We just watched rewatched The Suitcase and I failed, as I always do, uh, the Watch the Suitcase Without Crying Challenge. Uh, I thought this would be the time. It wasn't. But uh, Mad Men, for all of its wonder and glory, does not in any way make In the Mood for Love less potent. Uh, and whoever you were watching with, I'm sure there are people that <laughs> I like quite a bit. But uh, they're monsters. David. Dragon. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's terrible. Yeah, I, 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 did watch, yeah. I, I did watch another... Uh, a film from that time I watched and wrote about Yee Yee recently by Edward Yang. The oh. last one that Edward Yang ever made. Uh, another comfort movie of mine. 
Um, and uh, that absolutely holds up. And it's another movie from around that time. He was uh, 2000, I believe. He um, uh, shares the company of In the Mood for Love. On I recently dug this up for some reason. BBC did a poll a few years ago, the top 100 films of the 2000s, I guess. And In the Mood for Love is number one. I think he is like three. Um, yeah. And, and not many people have seen it. I mean, it, yeah, I, uh, understandably, he was acclaimed to the high heavens when it, when it came out. Yeah, even in the United States, did well it can. Um, but uh, it is almost three hours long. It is a slow-moving saga about a family in Taipei around the turn of the millennium and the various, it's a mosaic about various things that are happening with them. And it's a sweep. It starts with a wedding. It ends at a funeral. It covers, you know, so many different facets of life in between. Um, but it contains so much of the world. You know, I always go back to that quote that, uh, that Tom Hanks says of the Godfather in you've got mail where it's like all of life is contained in the Godfather. And, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but watching something like E.E., that, that seems uh, like it's more applicable. I mean, that is a movie that contains so much, not just the events of life, but the fabric of it, how we live and how we relate to each other in uh, the geography of, of modern cities. Um, and it's uh, it's really extraordinarily beautiful. It's been canonized on Criterion uh, for a very long time now. and It's available to stream on the Criterion channel uh, and if you have the time and the patience to sort of sink it to its rhythms, and I don't begrudge anyone who has neither of those things these days, um, it is as rewarding as it gets. Uh, and, you know, uh, Jonathan Chang, who plays the, the character of uh, Yang Yang, is uh, a little kid who discovers uh, photography as a hobby. The precocious little boy who I think, Katie, I don't know if you've seen E.E., but uh, as... I think you probably see some of your own sons increasingly will in this oh, character. Well, but, uh, one of my one of my favorites. Uh, I mean, it's hands down. I think my favorite child performance ever. Take that. Uh, and it's just oh, it's so great. And uh, no matter no matter how many times I watch the movie, and it's been a lot over the years, um, I always just I just love uh, Yang Yang so much. Um, made me happy i had a boy yeah you know in my mind's eye had always wanted a girl and then you had a kid and you realize how immediately how silly that is because you have your kid and uh, it's the kid you love and all that stuff although i read a lot of mommy blogs about gender disappointment when we learned we're having a son Um, i remember you you telling me you're like i have the worst news there is about the baby and they they were all like you know as soon as you have a kid this stuff goes away and i was like all right uh but uh it it couldn't be more true um you don't want your kid to be any sort of any different than they are but uh yeah i mean I can't say enough good things about you. I did just write about it extensively on the new wire. If you to care, pivot if you like back movie, to, if you want an excuse to watch it to pivot back to HBO max. Have any of you found any, any gripes in the service yet? I mean, they don't have the desolation of smog, but they have the other two Hobbit. Movies. That's weird. So that's, a Oh, this isn't a, yeah, it's like a, it's a streaming licensing thing. Netflix has the same. No, problem I, the time. I just think it's hilarious. And they also advertised having the matrix on the platform for launch and they didn't. Um, and it's on Netflix. So I just, yeah, that's it's right there. I mean, it was one of the most watched things on Netflix this weekend. I think this, this is my, uh, but yeah, my been, weird grape is that, um, the movie Rio, which was produced by 20th century Fox is for some reason on HBO max and not Disney plus. And, and, Lots of Fox movies on it's there. So, on it's just proof that, like, for as much as you, time as you can spend thinking about, like, licensing, you'll never understand it. And there will always be things where you don't think they're going to be. I mean, I watched Die Hard with a Vengeance the other day on HBO Max, which I don't really want to get too deep into here because the movie um, has has a lot going on that you might connect to the conversation oh if, you, if you go down it's that rabbit capital hole. Capital P problematic. But the movie... The movie is astonishing. It is uh, I mean, in the, it starts immediately. Like a bomb goes off in the first minute, and then John McClane is being forced to go to Harlem and wear a sign. And I'm not gonna. I'm again. I'm not really gonna talk about that. But um, this all happens in the first six minutes. And boy, oh boy, there's a lot of racial tension in this film. Uh, but yeah, that's a Fox movie, and there's just so many Fox movies. Who knows why? Because of old deals and HBO deals, I think is part of it too. Like I'm, those movies are supposed to be on HBO property. I don't know. Personally, I'm holding out. 
I'm holding out for Peacock. When is Are that you? coming? <laughs> July. Oh, jeez, it's coming soon. Oh, so then we'll get to do a battle royale of all the streaming services. You get to get the Trolls World Tour for free. Well, actually, we should. To, to it's been relevant in this segment. We need to talk about uh, what, uh, unfortunately, is not our nation's greatest crisis right now, but um, is alarming nonetheless. Is that uh, Mad Men? is leaving Netflix because Netflix not understanding what the money is for has decided that they did not want to re up their streaming licensing, wow. deal, which is fucking psychotic. They're depriving Americans of the single greatest show ever made at a time when we need it more than ever. Hashtag more than ever. And, uh, I don't know where its new home is going to be, but I mean, AMC Peacock, does have its own hard in on Peacock. AMC has its own streaming service. It's called shutter. Seems like it would be a great home for Mad Men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, Mad Men is, you know, Mad Men is terrifying in a number of different ways, <laughs> particularly for women. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, and Dave Gonzalez did get, give me the entire series on Blu-ray for my wedding. And it came, really? with, uh, it came with a little drinking glass that we use all the time. I didn't know that. Uh, no, I'm currently drunk on Aperol spritz from uh, the Batman class. So really, um, it doesn't matter for you if it goes off Netflix. <laughs> you, you got it. No, but it does. It does. I, David's I, worried about the people there. getting what they need. Well, it's also like, of course, you know, uh, I I will only watch things that are on Netflix. Like, I need to know that the Mad Men Blu-rays are there for my comfort, but uh, it's too far a journey to actually go and put them in. You should make it on the news as one of those people who projects episodes of Mad Men for the protesters out your window. Honestly, if I had any, if any of my windows, if any of my windows pointed at a wall that could be at all watchable by people out there it probably wouldn't be mad men that i picked yeah do, mad men doesn't really seem something. like the thing that's going to tear down capitalism the way that uh protesters yeah i'm not sure not so showing much, no. mad men during the black lives matter protest this <laughs> is uh, really the best is the choice yeah, you could the best choice you could loop that one mad men episode of season five <laughs> where it seemed like black lives matter to the people but nobody can hear it because the protest so it's just a lot of well-framed yeah. shots uh, yeah. uh i like it HBO well, Dave, Max. Wait, Dave, you to round us out here, didn't you say you watched something that was not HBO Max related? You Oh yeah, I did. the uh, streaming wars. Uh yeah, no, not really cuz it's oh. on the Criterion channel. Um I watched, I have to look it up because it's one of those, it's one of those uh, Italian crazy. films with long No, it's an American film. It's a William Greaves uh documentary that is not a documentary. It's called Symbio Psychotaxoplasm Take 1. Sure. Whoa. Uh, which is the first time I had been aware of it. I knew of William Greaves as a documentarian before, but was not aware of his movies. And apparently this one was like locked up till like 92 when a whole bunch of uh, other filmmakers managed to see it at like Sundance and then bring it eventually to somewhere where it could be distributed and become part of the Criterion Collection. It is uh, William Greaves plays himself and he is directing a audition scene in Central Park with different actors. And he has another film crew whose job it is is to film him filming the actors. And he has a third film crew whose job it is is to film the film crew filming him filming the actors. And he sets it out right at the beginning as like the three levels of like meta you're going to go We through. call it an Inspector Gadget, but yes. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> Inspector Gadget. Um, but... Uh, by the time the movie's over, it's sort of become like this postmodern deconstruction of the filmmaking process uh, itself. And then also some interesting things about race, some very interesting things about class right at the end, and a couple of things about um, homosexuality all sort of wrapped into this guy trying to make a movie is the narrative. And then at one point his crew kind of rebels against him and starts filming what they think the movie is about. Anyway, it's like a hour and 15 minutes. It's not a full 90, but super interesting. And I enjoyed it as like a little postmodern, uh, docudrama that I hadn't seen before. And it has a crazy name, which is what drove me to it. I was like, oh, I could watch like you know, Dog Tooth <laughs> or Symbiopsychotaxoplasm Take One. I have one more HBO Max thing that I forgot. Uh, Charlie and I watched half of The Iron Giant, which is on uh, HBO Max. Uh, 
Only the first half, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. We only watched the first half because then it was time to go to bed. Uh, in theory, we might watch the second half and uh, have a lot of questions to answer. But I already had had to explain to him like all the like the Red Scare videos that they watch of like all the bombs dropping. Oh mm. yeah. He's like, why did they think people were going to bomb us? I was like, well. Wow. He asks a lot of why mm. questions. Get ready for that, Patches. Um, so anyway, he likes the robot, though. Yeah, that's good. It's too bad. Actually, kind of too bad for you. I know. Movie, but I'm happy that he Yeah, does. well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how- he lives. Super no, bad. Does he die? Oh, that cries me. I mean, he he dies, but then it's suggested that he can repair himself. Right, 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 right. Eventually. Right. Like oh, Superman. Yeah, spoilers. But man, Andrew. when he sacrificed himself. Yeah. That's the real shit. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll update everybody next week. Yeah, That's all right. So, aren't you glad I combined those? I guess. I mean, I guess. Sure. That does it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week. Hopefully, you still want to hear from us uh, and our semi-silly conversations as a lot of things happen out in the world. Um, but give us feedback if there's anything you want to hear us talk about or don't. Uh, you can find us. Where can you find us? Is that a question? <laughs> Tell the people who you are, it's Patches. Matt Patches. Oh, okay. I will. Um, I'm Matt Patches. I'm a senior editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And uh, we have a website, FightingInTheWorm.com, where you can listen to the episodes and share them with friends whenever the, whenever the moment makes more sense. <laughs> uh, I'm Dave. David Ehrlich, I'm a senior film critic for IndieWire. I started drinking during this podcast. That's probably a mistake. Uh, you can find uh, me on Twitter at David Ehrlich, uh, where I'm doing whatever is in my limited power to uh, spread the word about some worthwhile and relevant causes uh, where you can spend whatever money you have, especially if you aren't able to be out there protesting. Um uh, if you have developed a prototype for baby armor, uh, <laughs> it can take two protests. Please let me know. My son's six months old. Just for fitting purposes, I share that information. Um, you can find all of us on Fighting in the War Room uh, on iTunes. Leave us a review. We'll read it on the show. Uh, and it would be great to hear from you. Thanks. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You could find me on the Storm Lost Rewatch podcast, although this week we're taking a week off to do other things because it was a bad week to talk about Lost. But if you haven't jumped on uh, the bandwagon yet, uh, we're in season three. So there's lots of Lost you can catch up on with us. Uh, and I'm Kitty Rich. You can find me at VinAndFair.com and on the Little Goldman podcast, where, as I mentioned, we're not talking about Gosford Park this week, but we're talking about some other things, including the news. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-C-H. Oh, also, I should say that while we've been recording this podcast, I gave money to the North Carolina Community Bail Fund. Find your own local one. That made me feel better. Uh, anyway, you can find us at FITWR on Twitter, where you can tweet at us about all kinds of stuff. We're talking about all kinds of stuff. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... What's the last movie you were unable to find Street? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Some of those that work forces... I'm the same that hold office. Some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. Oh. I'm done. I'm done. We're done.